Mal... Macambra. Guys, all right. Well, that was a little follow-up right there. My camera wasn't coming on. Thank you, everybody, for being here with us. Our guest tonight is the legendary Sybil Danning, uh, who has been on the screen for a long time now. And I'm proud to say that she is one of my earliest memories of watching her on the screen. Sybil, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. How are you doing? Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad I could make it because we had power outage until yesterday, so we're good to go today. That's a good sign. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And we had the same thing going on here. I live just outside of the Washington, D.C. area, and everything was down here yesterday as well. Uh, so let's get right to it now. Sybil, back in... for D.C., isn't it? What, it? what is ever up in D.C.? <laughs> That's a good point. That's an excellent point. Uh now, let's go back to the 80s. You were uh, considered, for lack of a better term, a big sex symbol uh, from the 70s, 80s, and on. So take us back to that time, and what was it like for you from inside the industry as well as outside the industry being you know, regarded as a sex symbol, and what was the reaction you were getting from both insiders and outsiders at that time? Well, when you say the 80s, you know, I had come, it was just a couple of years before that I had come from Europe to Hollywood. And uh, first of all, I was told, what are you doing here? There are 5,000 actors that aren't working. And I said, well, so then it will be 5,001 unless I change that. And as we got to the 80s, and it was the, um, the Reagan era, and I remember in 1980, we had that beautiful um, movie that was basically the last uh, movie, Gloria, where a woman, I think, put, picked up a gun. So I remember uh, that. It, it was kind of, you know, women are back behind stoves and we're doing Rambo and Commando and, and um, all the big macho movies. So... Um, Actually, that was a time in the 80s that because the studios weren't doing those movies, I was able to fill that gap. And I was doing the Roger Corman movies mm -hmm. and the B, so-called B movies that were sexy and sword and sorcery and those kind of movies. But also because I had just come from Europe and in Europe, we were doing a lot of very sexy movies in the 70s that went on into the 80s. I was known as a sex symbol and uh, never a sex object. There's a big difference between yes. that. And I'm, I'm very proud of that because it, it did help me because doing sexy movies in Europe was natural and being behind the camera, um, more so in front of the camera, um, with less clothes on, uh, was not a big deal. You mm -hmm. know, it was just a natural thing because in Europe uh, and still today, yeah. uh, people go to the swimming pool and women are topless, and the children are playing there, and you grow up with in Europe a body is beautiful. So being a sex symbol was very simple for me there, and coming to Hollywood. Um, it, it made it very, continued to make it easy for me to play some roles like that here, more or less clothed. Um, and the reaction was actually very good because when Hef, Hugh Hefner came calling and uh, at first I decided to only do a semi-nude layout 
he came back and said, no, 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 we have to have you nude. And I got a tremendous deal for a worldwide cover, ended up with 10 pages inside because I said, I'm going to do it once and never again. I want to do it the best way I can. It did go worldwide. And my demand was if I'm inside, I have to have the cover and no matter where it goes, if they take my cover, they have to do the inside. And if they do the inside, they have to put me on the cover. And when I went for auditions, um, unlike people said, well, you're not going to be able to do anything because 5,000 actors are not working. I walked in the door and it wasn't, I had just done in Tebby where I was this unattractive woman that plays a terrorist with no makeup and flat shoes and anything but sexy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the producers that said, wow, we just saw Entebbe. And I'm very proud of that movie because it was actually also a movie that I got financing for and um, played the lead and got Klaus Kinski to play the lead. And we ended up with a with an Oscar nomination. Wow! It was that movie that the producers said, you know, that's your calling card, Miss Danning. No, they said, oh, wow, we just saw your Playboy. So, to me, that was kind of shocking because I thought, what are the producers going to think? Okay, and they loved it, and I got a lot of roles because of Playboy. So. I felt comfortable with it, and obviously, the producers loved it, and that got me even serious roles. That is, uh, that is so excellent. Uh, the way you embraced it, and uh, I mean, it's it's all it, it just goes to show how smart of a woman you are back then in what was a man's world, and you were smart enough to take advantage of the opportunities that were offered to you and use them to your advantage and for people who don't know that playboy issue i believe it was the august 1983 uh playboy that uh you were in and on now so i can see you're a collector (laughs) actually my brother is the collector um yeah, I'm a ma- I'm a married man for 22 years. Yeah, my wife would not appreciate that. But well, my, when my fans come to me, I say, "You have the Playboy." I mean, my goodness, you were in diapers when you uh, when I did that. And they said, "Oh no, it's my dad's. <laughs> my dad's Playboy. Please sign it for me." <laughs> and you also made a great point when it comes to Europe and America. I remember back in the 80s going to Europe with my mom. And just picking up uh, a regular magazine, uh, and the ads were showing women topless. Uh, this was not like a Playboy-type magazine, what would be considered here. It was just a regular magazine. And I'm like, I was nine years old, and I go to my mom, oh, my God, look what they're showing. And, you know, I realized as I grew older, and it still is that way today. Here we are in the year 2021, and I would say America, the United States, is really behind the times and way more conservative as compared to Europe. Um, they're still ahead of us in that regard. Why do you think that is? That's the English background. I mean, if that's the pure Puritan background, I think, of the history of the United States. Um, I, you know, for so long, I couldn't understand there were when I first came, I mean, there were stricter rules than there are now, but I always said, my God, a naked breast has never hurt anyone. But I mean, I'm on a show, we're talking about that, but I always said, oh, you can cut their ears off and poke their eyes out and shoot them and cut them up, but you can't show a naked breast. Oh my God, that's terrible. It has to do with the Puritan background and history of the United States. And, um, I think that's it's amazing what it is. Uh, I mean, still today, violence in movies is um, much more popular yeah. than um, than sex movies. Now, the first movie that I saw you in was Chained Heat, okay, um, with Linda Blair. Uh, 
And that movie, back when it came out, it got a lot of attention, if I'm remembering correctly, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Linda Blair do a topless or a couple of topless scenes in that movie as well? Oh, we had one together. It was yeah. the obligatory shower scene. Yeah. And uh, yes, we were both topless in the shower. And she dreaded it. She very much dreaded it. And actually, Linda, uh, bless her soul, I mean, I love her and we see each other all the time. Um, she actually refused to go and do publicity for the movie. So I ended up doing all that. And, um, wow. Yeah. I mean, she, of course, grew to prominence as a little girl in The Exorcist. Um, and, you know... It got of a lot of t attention when Chain Heat came out because here we have Linda Blair, who played Reagan in The Exorcist, which which was a huge movie, and that got the movie Chain Heat a lot of attention. I was young to remember if it was really negative or what, but I do remember that part of it. Uh, do you know? I mean, when she took the role, was she surprised after she took the role that it involved nudity? Was that not disclosed back in those days when actors were negotiating contracts? No, you know, I think in general, that's just her feeling. I don't know, and I never asked her if that was in her contract. I know everything that I did or didn't do was always in my contract, but maybe not every agent or manager is that precise. I just know that she hated those scenes and she, for that reason, didn't want to be really engaged anymore in the movie. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Now, before... And Roger Ebert loved that movie. He was... Yeah. A, I met Roger Ebert through my going to Chicago and we sat in a beautiful restaurant, his favorite, uh, a Sichuan, Chinese Sichuan restaurant in... Chicago sat down and he did an interview with me and we've been, we were friends ever since after that, bless his soul. Yes. I love Roger. And he also, you know, when I was in Cannes, he gave me, uh, the first time I was in Cannes, he also gave me the title of, um, what was I think, Miss, uh, Miss Cannes or something because he, because of that movie. And after that, he wrote that all over Cannes. Now, you mentioned that uh, the promotion of that film was pretty much left up to you. And here we are 40 years later, and I just asked you about Linda Blair. Was that the most prominent question you were getting when you were promoting the film back in the 80s? About Linda? Uh, you mean about Linda? Uh, yeah, like were you... And I'm sorry to have to put you in the spot. That's not what I was intending to do. But I just have to ask this last question. When you were promoting the film, did you have to answer a lot of questions about Linda? Um, I think about the scenes, yes. Um, but not in particular just Linda. I think they just said, um, how did you feel about the nude scene that you had with Linda and the shower scene? And I, and I always was honest about it. Mm -hmm. And Linda knows that. She knows that. And she doesn't have a problem with that. She said, uh, and, and when I see her today, and I think we only spoke about it once, and I said, you know, you look very beautiful, your breasts were beautiful, and there was nothing, you know, bad about that scene. So forget about it. Ah, forget about it. <laughs> she kind of has. And we see each other from time to time at the various shows. And, you know, she's dedicated to her dogs and her you know her um her uh, foundation and and i love her i love her dearly and we've always been honest about that that's great and i was honest about it when someone asked me like you and there's nothing you know nothing wrong with that no. and linda knows about that no now going you know you have been in front of the camera uh spanning five decades now you got your break in the late 60s into the 70s and into the 80s uh, what were some of the biggest changes you've noticed, not so much from the 70s to the 80s, but starting in the 80s when you're, like I said, in the beginning, you became a, a sex symbol. Uh, what, what, what are some of the biggest changes you noticed in the industry in regard to how women were being treated? 
Did you did it stay stagnant where women were being treated the same way, not gaining the respect they deserved? Uh, or did you start seeing slow, gradual changes in the right direction? No, I, I think there was a slow, gradual change there. Um, and I think it came to, to actually to a climax, which is we've just passed the Me Too and not even completed it yet. But mm -hmm. I think up to the Me Too beginning, um, there was a change, but I think the the Me Too movement actually brought a lot of what was undiscovered and and not spoken of to the surface. And I think that was very, very good. And of course, after that, now still dealing with it, but a lot of women having gone through it and many more for that reason, many more women came forward and had that opportunity and felt um, empowered to do so has helped. Yes. And of course, now it has, it's almost changed to a point where it's very, very difficult. And I've, you know, I mean, I have so many friends in the business that my male friends are, have, I think, more afraid of me than I ever had to be of them. But it's funny when they say, oh, dear, I don't, I don't know if I can kiss you on the cheek. And I said, oh, come on, a little kiss on the cheek won't hurt me, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's um, I think we have to now um, try to neutralize it a little bit because, mm -hmm. yes, it has done a lot of harm. Um, and it has changed things, but I think it's gone to such an extreme that it's very, very difficult now to be close to anyone. I mean, just, you know, just talking, sitting, having dinner or a drink or something. So, um, like everything, you know, I agree. always said to me, everything with, uh, you know, uh, in mass, and, oh, I was just thinking in German, I don't know why. Um, everything moderately yeah you know, it's that way with eating drinking it should be that way i think with your manners and the way you um you know you you give yourself in public it's always with moderation exactly i completely agree with you uh as throughout your career you have dabbled in almost everything uh in front and behind the camera i there... beg your pardon you call it dabbling okay <laughs> Uh, there's a break uh, somewhere in like the 2010s uh, where there's a gap. Did you at that point were deciding whether you wanted to retire from the industry and ultimately decided to come back? Or, you know, it, what were you doing during that time that there is sort of a gap in the films you were doing? Well, I, I did, yes, I did go away from Hollywood for a while, but it was um, totally out of personal reasons. Okay. And um, I, I felt very good doing so. Um, it's very difficult because, um, first of all, I didn't come as a young teenager to Hollywood. I already came at an age where most people um, are over the hill in Hollywood, so <laughs> to speak. But I came to the Hollywood Hills with the intention of not going over those hills until I say so. Um, so when I decided to go away, it was totally out of personal reasons. Okay. And when I decided to come back, um, I decided to come back. And I am back now, and um, I'm happy about it. So I think in life, you know, you... Um, there are a lot of things that you plan, and there are things that there's a saying in German, the Mensch denkt und Gold lenkt, that means the human being thinks, but God leads. Exactly. And so, you know, you can plan a lot of things, and then something happens, and it goes a different direction, and and so you just have to deal with it. Uh, just like with the pandemic now, there's so much going on, and people have to know one thing. With the climate change and the pandemic and everything going on, you just have to be strong and you have to fight through it and you have to keep positive. And things come along that you don't plan with, but you have to deal with it. Yes. And so um, that's 
that's been my philosophy in life and you have to be strong and I know not everyone can do that but I would hope and I hope that people will try to do that and come out of this pandemic also um, with strength and um, I think we're getting there. Me too. Me too. I hope so. I really do hope so. Now I'm back. I'm back and I'm I've decided to end your question there. I've decided to get uh dig back in. It's not easy because um it's kind of like saying goodbye Hollywood, hello Hollywood and that's not the way it goes. They out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Of times, you know. But that's okay because I do my work behind the scenes and um and when I'm back, I'm back. The bitch is back. <laughs> well, I just got my uh, okay. I don't think there's too many too many women even, or even men, uh, that can say they got an action figure. And I don't know if you know, but I got my action figure. It's beautiful. Um, Stallone did uh, did this, you know the same company did did Stallone, and um, it's. Of Saint Xman, wow! Beyond the Stars, and you know the wonderful um, cast that was in there, and I'm the only cast. Well, so many are gone now and have died, but never was there one character that they decided to make um, um, a figure of, and I got my my figure now. Wow! Shop Factory bought that uh, film from from Roger Corman. And um, Decca did the, the figure. It's beautiful. It's an eight-inch figure, action figure, and they did a beautiful job. Congratulations! So, wow. So that... this is the first piece of my coming back with an action figure, and everybody can go to SybilDanning.net and they can look at it. Uh, it's a limited edition. I'm I'm selling them. I'm going to Chiller, so I don't forget to tell you that. I'm going to Chiller on the 29th, 30th, and 31st of October. I'll be there for their huge 30th anniversary. Wow. So, um, yes, Kevin is having his 30th anniversary, and we had to, he had to, and we all had to um, cancel that three times because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic. And for, for 20, the... Um, in April of that year. Yeah. And so now we're finally going to have it. So it's going to be huge. It's going to be beautiful. And I'll have my figures there with me. It's limited edition, so I don't have that many left, but a lot have been already ordered and, and uh, shipped out. So that's a great way. That's a great statement with Chiller and the action figure to say, you know what, Hollywood, I'm back. I'm back and get ready. Uh, now, back in the 80s, the term B-movies was very prominent, okay? Now, we live in a world with digital streaming that that term has sort of faded in the background because, you know, B-movies in the 80s were considered low-budget films. Nowadays, with technology and the equipment, you can t make a movie for $10,000, and have it look great, the acting, the script, uh, top-notch. You, back in the day, made uh, a... Br you created a brilliant career for yourself, uh, starring in what was considered these B-movies. Uh, great movies, but were considered B-movies. And, you know, it just goes to show you how smart you are into... Uh, was it because you just embraced what was coming your way and you made the most of the opportunity that you possibly could? Well, I must say I had a little bit of help. I had a wonderful manager at that time uh, who's no, no longer with us. And he always said to me, he said, you know, you're beautiful and you're sexy. Anyhow, nobody's accused you of, um, of being a man or looking like a man. Um, and, um, so he said, you know, why not, um, why not take your, your beautiful anyhow, but take that inner strength that you have and start playing roles that men play, because again, it was the era of mm -hmm. Reagan and politics 
so much has to do with what films do and what we do as a society and where we are politically, etc. So, um, you know, so I did Pompeii and Sword and Sorcery in that movie, and that was for Vestron at that time, a video yes. movie, and like you said, but we went to Rome, we did it in Rome, it had a very nice budget, and I played a, a woman with a sword that, you know, helps to free the women of slavery in Pompeii. You kicked ass. So, so why not? Okay, and there I, I got to be beautiful and sexy and, and swing a sword and ride a horse and, um, it was deliberate. It was deliberate, but it was deliberately uh, filling the gap that was not being done because mm -hmm. the studios were not producing those kind of movies. And a, a journalist not so long ago said to me, you know, Angelina Jolie came along and did a big studio movie and was basically what you did. Um, but that was again, at a time where the studios were back doing and started doing, she was one of the first, you know, doing um, those kind of roles for the studios. Mm -hmm. So while there was that gap, um, Roger Corman came along and I did Battle Beyond the Stars, which is basically the Seven Samurai in outer space. And I'm the only woman that goes along with the men to fight. Yeah. So there you go. So it was those kind of movies that my manager and I were looking for and to fill the gap. In Amazon Women on the Moon, um, I got the offer to play the president's wife and I go in to see Robert Weiss, the wonderful Robert Weiss. And uh, he was the director. And we're waiting in the waiting room, and my manager's reading upside down, and he says, what is that? And he said, oh, that's a role, uh, but we're not casting till next week. And he said, well, I see that's, a, that's the role of an Amazon queen. And she said, yeah. And uh, he said, okay, thank you. So he said, Sybil, so when you go in to see the director, tell him you want to play the Amazon queen, not the wife of the president. So that's exactly what I did. When I walked in, uh, he said, oh, so I see you're here for this. And I say, no, I'm your Amazon queen. Wow. Said, oh my God, yeah, you would be right for that. Oh my God, yes. And so there, I ended up being... Um, An Amazon queen. And they even named the whole movie because they had those wonderful, you know, it was like Kentucky Fried Movie and they couldn't come up with a title and... and um, <laughs> One day I actually meet uh, Bob Weiss, and uh, he's going to kill me for this, but uh, I meet him in a, in, in a store, and he was smelling one of those markers, you know, the, the markers yeah. that you work with. And I said, aha, caught you sniffing, huh? <laughs> and I said, so what's the title of our movie? And he said, you know what? I'm going to call the whole movie Amazon Women on the Moon. I said, really? You've got so much going? He said, yeah. We all decided we love your segment and we're going to do that. And so that's what happened. And you remember my most famous line in there, right? No, I'm sorry. I get up when um, uh, Travolta looks up to me and says, uh, um, no, when, um, my God, Lana Clarkson, who we've lost, mm -hmm. um, the late Lana Clarkson who played like the the waiting the lady in waiting to the queen she was there talking to uh when the men come on our moon she's talking to travolta and um she looks uh, him up and down and and then she looks to me and she says my queen what are men good for and i get up out of my throne and look over one shoulder and say men are useless <laughs> So, so that's how another great role came about. Now, you said you were get, doing these roles deliberately. Was this you trying to empower women in Hollywood, or were these roles just your personal preference? Or a little bit of both? Both. Oh, no, there you go. Absolutely both, because 
You know, you spoke about chain heat. You know, um, I always felt that my movies were never preachy, but I think the roles that I played empowered women. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, one day I walked in a restaurant and this this lovely African-American waitress uh, comes to me and she does a double take and she looks at me again and she's, you're Sybil Danning? Are you Sybil Danning? And I said, yes. She said, oh my God, I loved you in Chain Heat. She said, you know, there was a moment where I was going to lose my job and I was so afraid to lose my job and I didn't want to lose my job. And then I remembered seeing you, how you fought in Chain Heat and you fought for the, the, the rights and your rights. And I said, I'm going to be Sybil Danning. I'm going to fight for my job and she said you know what i didn't lose my job i got my job i picked up the courage and i i spoke with authority and i said i'm going to do this and i will do this and i kept my job thank you thank you and can i give you a hug and she hugged me and it's moments like that that make me feel good and um you know you don't always know when you get a script what's going to be in there but i liked i like the um i like the spirit yes mm-hmm. first it was the white gang and the black gang you know with tamara dobson the leader and me the leader and fighting the black team and she's fighting for the uh, she's fighting the white team but in the end we got together and we fought the authorities that were doing us all wrong and so there was a message in that and um and that helped this girl that helped this girl the way I fought. Um, so even though the movies were <laughs> entertaining, they were not really to send messages. There are messages in things, and there is one thing that I did not want to play at that time, and I was offered that. And I must tell you, and I'm on a, a show now, I'll probably lose some some of my uh, fans, but. I was offered to play a victim in a horror movie and I said, you know, I don't I really don't want to play a victim in a horror movie because the victims are always women in horror movies. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, let's go, you know, chop up women, let's go kill women. And it's not really what I wanna do. But I said, it's not that I'm against violence, because I do violence mm-hmm. in movies. And but I've always felt if men can do it, women should do it. So I said, if you want to change that killer to a woman let me be a woman, okay? And let me go out and kill the guys for a change. Let's let's do a reversal. And they said, oh no, that, that would change totally the story. And I said, okay, I wish you good luck with it. Thank you. So, um, yes, yeah, sometimes I have gotten, or when I really felt there was something very bad against, for instance, well, I can tell you a huge movie that I turned down. It was Robert Weiss's movie, um, uh, oh God, he did it right after Amazon Women on the Moon. Um, and anyhow, the, the, the woman's character, it'll come back to me in a minute, the woman's character has big breasts and people are constantly making fun of her breasts in the movie and and uh, and they wanted me to have big breasts in Amazon Women on the Moon because that's that was the time and the look and everything. And he said, oh, come on, it's, it's a comedy. And I said... Um, yeah, but I still don't like that idea because there are a lot of women with big breasts and I don't want them to feel that that's a bad thing or they should be, you know, or give empower anybody to make fun of women's breasts. So I I turned it down. He said, I can't believe you. I said, I'm sorry. It's, I actually went to the premiere of this movie, but I did not. I you see, but... The role in a big studio movie. That takes... But I just didn't feel comfortable in that role. That takes courage. That's courage right there. Or stupidity. <laughs> no, no, no. It's courage, and I applaud you for that. In Amazon Women, wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer also in that movie? Yes, she was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, I mean, if you look at the cast now with you, Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, it, it was an amazing uh, movie uh, that was put back back then, and... I always tell people that history is the judge of where a movie is going to sit. Um, 
You know, don't listen to the critics when a movie comes out right away. The critics are not the judge. Uh, time is going to be the judge of where a movie falls into place uh, over time. So let's go now to 2000. Can I say something to that? Absolutely. It's actually also funny. You see what I have back here? Yes. You see who's back there? Well, I, no, not clearly. That, no, I can't see clearly who. Christopher there. Lee. Oh. That's Christopher Lee and me in The Howling 2. Yes. The Death Kiss. And it's funny, I just want to say, because you said time will tell um, about films. Um, it's so funny because, um, well, The Howling 1, I know there are so many people that say The Howling 1 is, is the best. Howling 2 is the best, and the rest, there's, you know. But Joe Dante and I, we had for a while, we had this thing where Joe Dante and I would get meet somewhere, and I'd say, oh, I like yours. And he'd say, oh, no, but I really like yours. i said, okay. And that was, you know, I love his howling, he loves my howling. So, but when you read, talking about critics, you know, when you read, of course, the Howling One is taken very seriously. Yes. And we didn't have Rob Bottin doing, you know, our werewolves. Mm -hmm. But then again, <laughs> when we got our costumes in the Czech Republic, Philippe Mora, our director, called Hollywood and said, hello, we're not doing Planet of the Apes. We're doing the Howling Two. You send us ape outfits. So... <laughs> The costume designers and everyone in the Czech Republic had to make do and rework those costumes. Wow. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Now, you so there's so much, you know, difference between the two movies and then our movie, you know. The critics usually start by saying, oh, you know what, I really hate that movie. But then they end up saying, yeah, but that was funny and that was fun and oh, no. Civil Danning, you know, the scene. <laughs> I enjoyed them both. Uh, I, you know, I really enjoyed them both. Was the Howling... Really, right? You can't compare them. No, no, they're two different movies. Yeah. Would you... Uh, was the Howling your first foray into horror? No, actually, um, you know, it's interesting because some people say, oh my God, yeah, you've done a lot of horror, right? No. And then like you, you say, is that because... No, I haven't done much horror. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I have one movie that I will be bringing with me. Also, it's called The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. I did that in 72 with Barbara Boucher. And um, that was shot in Italy and in, um, and in Germany. And it has a huge following still among fans today. Um, but I can't tell you actually what other real real horror movie i did one called julie darling that was a german movie with uh, anthony francioso and and canada mm -hmm. uh, we shot it in berlin and toronto did you stay away from horror because of like you said women were the victims except for the last girl standing uh you would see a lot of women you know and back in the 80s camp counselors or whatever teenage girls getting slaughtered, and then at the end of the movie, there would be the, the famous last girl standing. Is that why you sort of try to stay away from horror movies? Um, that was one reason. Then, of course, I don't know what all my manager, you know, I'm sure that there were a lot of offers in the 80s or even later, uh, well, actually the 80s, that came along that he didn't tell me about. Um because that that was just an understanding that I was not interested um, yeah. to play those roles. Yeah. Um, so actually, my famous ones are The Howling, The Howling, The Howling Two, and of course Halloween. Halloween, so, and I was lucky to get in there. <laughs> well, let's talk about Halloween. Now, you know, you had a, a small role in Halloween Two. I mean, sorry, yeah, Halloween One. It got smaller. It started out bigger. <laughs> Uh, you were the nurse that was sent in to watch Michael Myers while Dr. Loomis walked uh, Michael's mother outside, and Michael kills you. Um, yes. What did Rob Zombie approach you personally 
to take on this role? Was he a fan of yours? How did it come? How did that role come your way? That's a very uh, interesting question and an interesting answer um, because Halloween actually was not the movie that he wanted me to do. Oh. He is a fan of mine, yes, but this is how it happened. You know Ken Foray. Mm -hmm. And I have been a fan of Rob Zombie's, and I like the fact that he puts his wife in in Sherry. good, good roles. Yeah. yeah. And I watched um, The Devil's Rejects, and I liked oh, it. And I oh. told Ken Foray, I said, I would like to work with, with Rob. Can you give me his phone number? And he said, oh, I can't do that. But you know what? I will tell him that you would like to work with him. And I said, please do, and tell him that I really liked um, The Devil's Rejects, and I like Sherry's role in there, and I love that he gives women strong roles. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so one day I don't get a call back from Ken, but like a week later, I get a call from Rob Zombie's office. It's not Rob. It's someone in his office that says, could you uh, please come and meet with Rob on, I forget what day it was, Thursday at four o'clock at the studio. And I said, yes, certainly I'll be there looking forward to it. And I thought we're going to have a meeting, a general hello. Kind of meeting. Well, let me guess it was an audition. So I walk in and they say, um, oh, please this way. Um, Mr. Zombie's in, in here. He was in the makeup room. It wasn't his office, it was the makeup room. And he's sitting there looking at two wigs and he says, hi, Sybil. He says, I was thinking you and Sherry could have these wigs. You like them? You know, you're, you're both going to play the the um, um, the um, Krupp sisters, and uh, I think uh, that would work great in um, Werewolf Woman of the SS. And I said, yeah, I love it. <laughs> That's how that went, just like that. Wow. So, um, and then um, that was, you know, that was that. And so um, he says, okay. We'll be in touch, and I said, okay, uh, I'm tickled to death. He said, we'll send you the script. And then uh, I said, I have something for you because I brought something, and he, they said that he was over there, and I said, where can I put this? And I brought him a poster of The Howling 2 mm. and the movie. Not knowing if he had it, if he wanted it, I just wanted to give it to him because it was around his birthday. And I wanted to give him a little gift. So I said to him, um, there's something in your office. And um, I left it for you. And he said, oh, well, we'll have to go see that. So then we went to his office and he saw his poster and he saw the video. And he said, I love that movie. Thank you so much. And he's a big collector. You know? yeah. He's a very big collector. And he was so happy to get it. And he said, you have to sign it. And of course. I of course. It. And then I left. And uh, but before I left, and while I was, you know, while I was in his office, and I signed it, I looked up, and he had all these headshots, and it said Halloween. And I said, Oh my God, I'd love to be in Halloween. Do you have anything left in there for me? I don't care what role it is. Coming from you, I don't care what role it is. I said I'd love to be in there. And he said, let me give it some thought. Right now, everything is cast, but let me give it some thought. And we never spoke again. We, um, I, I just followed up on Werewolf Woman of BSS and got the script and all that. And I did, uh, you know, wardrobe fitting and everything. And mm -hmm. then I went and shot. And then we shot on it. And um, one day, as we are, um, I'm in my trailer, and there's a knock on the door. And I say, come in. And it's Rob. And he hands me some pages and he said, Sybil, I think you'll have fun with this role. You can play, it's, she's like the, um, um, you know, the, the nurse um, uh, rancid, you know, from one flew over the cuckoo's nest. 
read this and tell me if you want to do it. I said, I will. Yes, I do. And I thank you. <laughs> Closed the door and left. He was busy. You know? So there it was. There was the rope for Halloween. And, um, and I was then, we shot. And then I, after that, I was called in for, for a fitting. And, um, and I remember it was uh, the same thing. He was in there and he, he had, he picks things. He picks wardrobe, or at least he did with me. <laughs> I walked in and he said, you okay with this? Because I don't want you to look sexy or beautiful or anything. This woman is not sexy or beautiful or anything. And then he said, and I said, yeah, fine. I'm playing a role. <laughs> and he left. And then the first day that we were shooting, he was in the makeup room and he went in when he knew I was there. And he said to the makeup lady, he said, um, you make sure Sybil doesn't look beautiful. Okay, Do whatever you can. I know that's difficult, but <laughs> yes. I don't want her looking beautiful. She's got to look like Nurse Wynn. Okay. So there you go. And uh, you wow. That's what came out of it. I had that ugly nurse outfit that went way down over my knees and, the, you know, the, the normal nurse shoes and everything. And uh, so that's what it is. And you turned your back on Michael Myers, which was a big mistake. <laughs> yes, yeah. And um, what did you... was too nice to him either, so that kind of ticked him off. Exactly. I call that the forking picture. You put it up today. I saw that. Yeah. What did you... What that did you... Up, that's... I call it the forking picture. <laughs> Death by fork. And then I put up, I don't know if you saw it, and I sent out in my social media, yeah. I call it post forking. That's the bloody picture. <laughs> post forking, yeah. You have the before and after. Yeah, exactly. So you just yeah. told us you were, you know, you became a fan of Rob Zombie from seeing uh, The Devil's Rejects. Uh, what was it like actually working with him on the set with him behind the camera? I've interviewed a lot of people who Rob directed, and they all say he is very detail-oriented on the set. Would you agree or disagree with that? Absolutely, but, you know, at the same time, he lets you do what you want to do, or at least, again, I can only speak for myself, because, you know... He, when he picks someone, he knows why he picks them. And then he's not going to say, well, I picked that person because I know what they do. So now I'm going to tell them to do something or be somebody totally different. The only time he mixed in was in the wardrobe and with the, with the yeah, with the look, with the look, with the, the makeup and the look for the nurse um, in um, Werewolf Women of the SS. You know, Sherry and I had the same sexy outfit, so that didn't make any difference. But, um, no, the only time he had something was very specific was my nurse's look and mm -hmm. the wardrobe. On set, um, he knew that he knew I knew my role, and he picked me for the role because he knew I would do it, and I could do it. So, um, no, he is... Like I remember working with Richard Fleischer when I did Crossed Swords and I played Ernie Borgman's pregnant woman, uh, pregnant wife, mm -hmm. and he has to mistreat me. And this was really the beginning of my career. I was still in Europe and it was one of my first big American movies. And I went to him and I said, do you think I should play it this way or that way? And he said, Sybil, give me what you got. If I don't like it, I'll let you know. That was Richard Fleischer. Um, Rob knows exactly what he wants, but he's not the kind of director that will say, now go here, sit down, smoke with your right hand, look over here, and then say your line. No, he hires who he likes, and he hires them all the time. You see that. Mm -hmm. Because everybody that was in... I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people that were. In oh yeah, he works with his with his actors. I mean, you could tell he likes to bring his people along to different projects. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, Udo Kier, we were in, together in, uh, um, um, you know, Werewolf of the SS, and and oh, Tom Tolls, who's no longer with us. He was in both movies, and um, uh, you know, so he. 
he loves to take people and he takes them because he knows what they can bring and what they're going to do. So um, if he doesn't like something, I could see, yes, he will let you know in a heartbeat. Okay. First, he lets you be, but the greatest directors that I've worked with, and they haven't been that many, are all like that. So it's it's a rarity. It's not that common to get the really great directors. I mean, of course, not naming any names, but directors like Rob Zombie are the exception in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Now, I normally ask uh, actors what movie they consider was their big break. From listening to our conversation, and I can't believe we're almost out of time, uh, it sounds for you that Playboy shoot is what skyrocketed your career. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't want to say skyrocketed, but let's put it this way. I saw it as my calling card because I came when I had just done and the Entebbe movie, mm -hmm. which was Operation Thunderbolt. The Israeli title was Mitzvah Yonatan, which is the mission Yonatan, um, was screened and, um, and we were nominated for Best Foreign Film. People knew of that, but they also knew of the magazine. Yes. And to me, but it wasn't like, oh, we really loved you in that because I went on to do things like Simon and Simon and I played I played a terrorist in that but a sexy one and they mm -hmm. had me in a bathing suit on the Queen Mary okay so um, I played you know I was in um, I was doing a lot of guest starring roles uh, like with Rex um, Rex Smith who's now going to be at Chiller mm -hmm. on Street Hawk. And there I was a Vegas dancer in a sexy outfit. And the next moment I'm in jeans and, um, you know, and, and sitting on a motorcycle. Um, so um, it was a combination. I think it was a combination. Uh, yes, they did want me for that. But I think everything I did was kind of already mixed with also strong roles. Yes. They weren't just nude roles. You know what I mean? Yes. So it was already a mixture of those two roles. Here I played the unattractive terrorist, and here I was the nude, sexy woman. Um, had 10 pages inside, that wasn't bad. Um, so yes, that did help. But then again, the roles were combined with also with action. Yes, power. You are the you know, the majority of your roles, you play a strong, powerful woman. Nobody can argue that. Uh, along with doing movies after the Playboy shoot, where did you find yourself getting offers for other shoots, modeling gigs as well? No, no. I um, Actually, I hated modeling. I mean, I started out as a model in Europe, in Austria, in my home country. Um, I, I started there and then I worked in Italy. Uh, I went as far as to Japan, um, and then in Germany, but I hated it. I didn't like the changing of clothes and, um, I just, I just, I really didn't care for it. I did it because it paid well mm -hmm. and it was my stepping stone to movies because I was, uh, basically, um, discovered by a movie director who had seen pictures of me in a very famous Austrian photographer's studio. Yes. And he was going through the pictures and saw my pictures and said, who's that? And said, I want her to play Lorelei. So um, it was like a stepping stone and I was very happy to go into movies. Um, even though again, movies were not something I craved for all my life. I didn't. Um, neither the um the modeling either it was just to make money because i um you know growing up in, in in austria and then living over there in austria um 
I had a diploma in cosmetology, which came in very, very handy later on because mm -hmm. I can do my own makeup and most of the time I did. Um, and I have my cosm you know, my diploma in that and I really love that. But when I wanted to open up my own salon in Salzburg, the beautiful Salzburg, um, you know, the government said, wait a minute, no, we have five salons, we don't need a six. That's what, you know, that's what, not communism, I mean, Austria is um, socialist. Yes. Socialist. So I didn't like that. So when I, you know, could work as a cosmetologist and had the opportunity because it was also a modeling agency, mm -hmm. I said, wow, I make more in one night than I do a whole week working as a working as a cosmetologist after I had made my diploma. So it was always I wanted to, you know, do better mm -hmm. and make more money. Wow. So the modeling did that, but I didn't enjoy it. And wow. then the movies was a stepping stone to something that I really enjoyed. And I always said when I was in my first American movie, I remember it so well. It was Hungry, it was Bluebeard. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the makeup room. I come in the first morning in the makeup room and I'm hearing Neil Diamond. I am, I said. And I said, this is my kind of world. You know, in the little movies in Austria and in Europe, you're doing your makeup behind the tree. And um, here I am in the studio. I'm in a makeup room. And I'm listening to Neil Diamond. And people are nice and they well I'm not saying that the Europeans are not nice but I mean it's just a whole different feeling yeah. I felt I was in a an, uh, an occupation that was taken seriously I was taken seriously and it was a beautiful surrounding a beautiful environment and I said that's what I want and when they offered me to go around Europe for Francis Durbridge play that I was almost going to take because that was very good. All those German-speaking territories, mm -hmm. Austria, Switzerland, Germany. I said, well, if I do that, that's going to be years. Or am I going to go to Hollywood? And guess what? You went to Hollywood. Good move. I, said, I don't need the theater. I don't need that immediate. I like Hollywood. I like good move. Hollywood. So there you go. Wow. Sybil, talking to you. I mean, like I said, I grew up watching you on the screen. You have to be one of the strongest, smartest women I have ever met. You, there's no surprise now how you've had this storied career and it's still going and you're going strong. Uh, it's been an absolute honor and that just word doesn't do justice to what I'm feeling right now to talk to you for this past hour. Thank you so much for sharing all these stories with us. And I hope young women today who watch this can get some inspiration from what you just said in the last hour, because I think it's very inspirational. It was true back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and it's true today. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us and sharing all these stories. Is there any final thoughts you wanna share before we say goodbye? I want to say thank you to you, John, for having me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it because yeah. I am working on three projects. One action, one thriller, one vampire movie. Can you tell us the titles or are they not titled yet? Uh, <laughs> the vampire movie is untitled. Okay. <laughs> because I have a great title, but I'm not going to give it out because I don't want it stolen by anybody oh, until it's out. But I... I would love to come back when I have yes. something exciting and new to talk about. Meanwhile, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I have it is my honor. enjoyed so much talking to you. And thank you for all the compliments that you have given me. It's, it's um, true. I meant every word. It is absolutely true. And I love to have, I would love to have you back when your movies come out so we can talk some more about them because literally this hour just flew by and we only touched on just a very small fraction of what we could talk about. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned in tonight. Uh, thank you again to the great Sybil Danning, the legendary Sybil Danning for being our guest. Uh, everyone stay safe. And until next time, on behalf of Sybil Danning and myself, 
stay walking. And stay walking symbol means that when life kicks you down, you pick yourself back up and you keep moving. That's why I always end my show with that phrase. So always stay walking, guys. Good night. Thank you.